Welcome to In the Spotlight. This is a podcast brought to you by the Guild of HR Professionals in association with Lace Partners. Welcome to the HR and uh, Spotlight series of podcasts sponsored by Lace Partners and part of uh, the HR Guild. Welcome, everyone. I'm joined by my normal co-host, co-host and colleague, Annette Andrews, now formerly Master of the Guild. I know. Gosh, what an honour, eh? Can't believe it. It's uh, You get to wear the big robes now. I know, and the bling. Robes, bling. Just a shame I've got nowhere to go in it, really, but never mind. <laughs> It'll happen. It'll happen. As we, as you will have gathered by that, this podcast is recorded during lockdown 2.0 or lockdown lockdown face thing, as our guest Nicola has called it. Welcome, Nicola. Locked, thank you. Lockdown McLockface. Lockdown McLockface. Copyright. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Uh, Nicola, Nicola Forbes-Taylor joining us today. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome. You're very welcome. We're going to let you do an intro on your own, but I, I thought I'd just start by asking Annette, while you're here, Nicola, why are you here with us this evening? Annette, we had a conversation. I think you and Nicola had a good conversation, and suddenly we have a we have a podcast. So let me tell you about this conversation with Nicola. It was just amazing. We just got introduced, started talking, and we were we have a shared passion about leadership and coaching, and how COVID has impacted leadership, and how it will never be the same again. And how actually this is all now about, I hate the word authentic leadership, but it's about the human part of being a leader and how to connect. And Nicola, you don't probably don't know this, but we started talking and we kept talking and we kept talking. And I moved from one house in my car, drive to another house. And we just kept going on our <laughs> conversation because I don't, we just grew and grew, didn't we? Yeah, just, it just felt like a click. Yeah, it did. In the way we think about things and sharing ideas, and it was great. Could have gone on for hours, couldn't we? And they were like, it really did feel like that. You've got to come on the podcast. Let's talk about leadership and how what's happening on leadership and why it's so important. And then I introduce you to Aaron as well. So there you go. It's all about networking, growing that network as well. And and we've just been talking about how small the world is. So now we're all connected. Who knows where this could lead? There you exactly, go. exactly. We have more connections, six less than six degrees of separation, Nicola, which Indeed. is fantastic. As Indeed. always. And maybe maybe for our listeners, just uh, a little bit of an introduction of your background and and your passions in this space. Yeah, lovely. I love it. Passions. So um, I started out my career in sales and then went into HR. People always think that's so strange. Six and a half years in consultative business to business sales. Why would you go into HR? And and to me, it actually felt like a, quite a natural, weirdly, natural evolution. Not initially, you understand, but as, as time went on. And it's it's really about what made me, when I became successful in sales, what made me successful is what led me into HR, which ironically leads me into coaching, which is about when I realized the key to connecting with people, in brackets, the key to selling, is asking powerful questions, then listening. You can see where I'm going, can't you, Annette? That's when I made money. I bought myself a house in my 20s. I was doing really, really well. And I, I thought, 
I, I love doing this. I love connecting with people, but I want something more. I want some more challenge. And for that more mental challenge, it was about understanding because I'd worked in a really a niche small business in the aerospace and automotive sector. And I thought, I want to see more how you can get more out of people because I was fascinated by how we achieved so much as a small team. And that's really what led me into HR. And that's what's powered and fueled my career. I guess that is my passion, really, if we were branding it as that, to see how people can perform and thrive in organisations and how people connect and and what makes, you know, interestingly, you know, we've branded it psychological safety recently. Uh, well, we didn't. <laughs> Amy Edmondson did. But, um, you know, that's come to light. But all that stuff about what makes us work well, what enables us to work well and what enables us to thrive and perform. And right back then, I saw that there were certain elements of what we did and how we operated as a, as a team that enabled us to deliver 1.2 million as a team of eight people as a reseller <laughs> and our biggest ticket item was 10 grand and our margin on that was 40 percent and we were making big money for a small team the sales team was me and the md so you know we we did a lot with what we had as a small team but you can see that so much in every organization how can you create great teams great leadership great connection and so that's my passion now so I've been in HR for, oh, she says dating herself, 15 years. So chartered fellow now. Ooh, I get extra badges for that. And um, I always think of McDonald's badges. With the, that's <laughs> not probably what the CIPD intend that to be, but uh, I always think there's McDonald's badges. Also, uh, like you, Annette, uh, an executive coach. And that real focus on enabling people to have those realisation moments and develop their own awareness of how they have choices that that was another key pivotal pivotal moment in my career and it's been pivotal in how I work now and so that brings me to now and I, I have a portfolio business I have I work with people as a, a coach and mentor and sometimes that's that's a bit of a blend with some of my HR leaders that I work with I run a HR leadership program called the A-List which is about developing strategic commercial uh, leaders. And I also work with a fantastic company called Open Blend, who facilitate coaching conversations and performance management conversations with an excellent UX. So it's it's all about leadership and connection. Those are my passions. And you also shared with us that you've done stand-up comedy at some point. <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. When I first came to London, I um I was in that zone. I don't know whether you're London born and bred, both of you, but when I moved to London, I thought, you know what? I'm going to do that thing where you say yes to things and you try new things. And so I signed up for what you could do, like sign up for a baking course, sign up for a cooking course, sign up for this, sign up for that, do walking tours of London, explore everything, get to know everything. And one of those things happened to be comedy. And I've always, you know, I've adored, I actually saw her in, like in person like just meters from me dawn french growing up and she'd just been a hero of mine and victoria wood and just always loved that and always been able to recite it and perform it and loved it and i thought why not give it a go myself so i've, I've done six gigs across london now i Fantastic. did uh, my friend's wedding which was very awkward I said really <laughs> your grandma's looking right at me he's like go for it <laughs> i was like okay <laughs> 
but it's 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 actually a wonderful experience because the the I trained with the comedy school, and the style of comedy that they espouse is very self self effacing in a way, but that mm-hmm. observational comedy, but sharing your own stories. It's not about criticizing or berating anyone else, or certainly not about humiliation or anything like that. And it's not about character comedy. It's about sharing your own story. So actually, it's it makes you really reflect, which is interesting as a, as a coach, as you know, Annette, that anything that you can connect with people about is often because you've done the work yourself. Um, and I remember our mentor as a, as, a, as a comedy group, he said, those moments that are your most humiliating, your most painful and your darkest times, those are the moments where people will laugh, not because they're laughing at you, it's moments of connection and what we love, long for as humans is connection. And he said, that's that. I mean, he's amazing. His name's Mr. C, comedian name. And it was he's awesome. And it was all about connection. And he said, when you connect with the audience, they're with you. They want you to be funny. And when you lose that connection, that's when it all goes wrong. It's not about whether you're funny or not. They'll laugh with you when they're connected with you. It's interesting. <laughs> and I could see connections to that in the workplace connecting and things being disconnected there's lots of overlap I think that brings us very neatly into the topic of leadership doesn't it doesn't it really because it's about connection it's about being authentic it's about sharing experiences and it's about sharing the whole you so Mm. that people realize that you are human they will follow you but equally you are willing to share which means that will create a trust bridge as well and it's interesting that you say that because I think I don't know it's perhaps a provoking question but I think there's still some people who think that leadership is this you know this part of myself you know and I will I will box off this vulnerable part and I will share you know this is my leadership part I think you know sometimes you can get into a flow of thinking oh no everybody thinks it's about holistic being yourself and actually I'll say I've, I've been on a journey still on the journey with that myself of you know feeling like what people need from you is strength and therefore you can't show vulnerability when actually through my coaching journey and through coaching others I, I see the power in vulnerability yeah that whole strength you know but it's easy to say it's harder to do isn't it as a leader mm-hmm. and that whole connecting with people with your whole self and, and Nicola, on, sorry, on, this is where we start. Kind of, this we kind of cross each other all the time now. So it goes, you've, you've had two questions. I get one. This is how it works. It's the ratio. <laughs> we've had a lot. We've had other conversations around COVID and the impact that has had on leadership and the humanization of leaders and all that side of things. And undoubtedly, for a lot of organisations, they have. I, I'm really interested, given how much you work with leaders and around that element, to understand the ability to sustain that. Because there's a moment in time during crisis where people have lent in, they've become more transparent as leaders, they've humanised. And although that crisis continues through lockdown, people are becoming more comfortable with how to handle it, how to manage it, what it means. And the unknown element is reduced and therefore there is a risk that people fall back on old behaviours. I'm just really interested to understand your perspective on on that. Is it sustainable for us all to be really human leaders? Mm-hmm. It's a big question. I think the thing that I've been reflecting on, which I think just to connect to that, 
and then come back to it directly is initially I think what happened with COVID is that it turned up the volume on things that were already there. And so I think how a leader interacted and connected with their team, motivated their team, drove performance as well as addressed performance with their team, you know, how that worked had a rhythm and there was an approach. And and COVID, you know, and us having to do all of this remotely turned up the volume on potentially the vulnerabilities of that. And yeah. with do in in so in so doing, it it put an additional pressure on that leader. And I think if the wider question is, is it sustainable for a leader to continue being one way all the time? No, it's not, because we all are human and we have ups and we have downs. And to sustain being vulnerable, I think the the straightforward question is, no, it's not possible to sustain that continually as a simple answer. But the less simple answer, I think, is, we can continually work on that and we can continually work on if we change that word from vulnerable to human. Personally, I feel more comfortable and when I'm talking to leaders, talk, using the word human rather than vulnerable because human to me is just about being real. Vulnerable can feel like an extreme of that. And, and I think there are connotations, yeah. which I know, as we've said, Brene Brown, you know, a lot of people have, have I've watched that, but a lot of people still have that connotation. I think somewhere in my the recesses of my mind, I do as well, that it equals weak. Brene said that herself, you know, vulnerability equals weak. And whereas if we reframe, classic coach, uh, mm-hmm. if we reframe and we talk about human and real and the wholeness and the messy bits as well as the tidy bits and, and the things that we know about and the things we don't know about, and, you know, actually genuinely thinking, well, I, I want to continue this journey. A journey isn't always the same. So I think the, the less easy answer is I think it's absolutely possible for a leader to continue to be human and connect with their team rather than just saying a continual standard approach that's repetitive. The things I would say would help my, my thoughts, not just plugging this because I am, but I, I truly believe in coaching. I think to mm-hmm. actually have a personal coach is so important as a leader. I think, and I talk to a lot of CEOs and founders about this, when they're saying, oh, no, I, you know, and there's the old school, you know, remnant perspective of a coach is for something broken. It's remedial. And if you actually invest in a coach, you know, and, and you have a different view, again, reframing, like any sports person will have a coach because they want to be the best they can as opposed to, the way we sometimes see business coaches as remedial still. Um, hope And gratefully, I think that's fading out. But saying to them, that is your one safe place if there is nothing else, where no, you're not burdening anyone, so it's not a partner. You know, you're not, you're not breaking any confidence. You don't have to impress them because they're either an investor or, or one of your team. You can just be you and you can just share your the weight of what you're carrying, I think that enables you to be more present with people. What do you think? I, I think the coaching is the, is the critical person. And I think it's become even more critical to have that safe place that it's probably ever been before because it's such a challenging time. But you're right, leaders are not only just having to manage through a crisis, they're having to plan for the future. Mm. 
And that's really hard to do both things at the same time and plus manage the personal drains, what's going on at home, the kids schooling, everything else. And it can get to a point where you just need that time and space for yourself to have those discussions. And actually finding the whole person comes out in those discussions now. You said something to me that I loved when we were talking before about the role of the CPO in helping sometimes, well, maybe often, I'll let you choose the mm-hmm. word, but the the CPO, uh, sorry, the CEO or founder, whoever you're working with as the number one HR person, mm-hmm. helping them show more of that human side of themselves by showing it yourself. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought that was super powerful because, and that's where we, I think we were clicking because that's been my experience. But sometimes when someone else articulates it, you think, yeah, yeah, that is, that is what I do. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, no, you're spot on. And if you start, I always say in my coaching, if you start to give a little bit of you to someone else, it's amazing because they will reciprocate back. Yeah. yeah. And you start to grow it from there. And that, and that that can feel, as you've said before, slightly uncomfortable as you peel back the onions. But actually, it goes all the way back to your sales experience, doesn't it? It's about building yeah. that relationship and that rapport. and underpinning it all is trust if you haven't got the trust there yes sharing that little bit you can start to create it and I don't know if you talk to leaders and use this I imagine you do but I use the Jahari window a lot Mm -hmm. and and when I'm working with new leaders and I work a lot in the sort of you know 100 to 500 employee size businesses so small businesses but where managers are having a huge impact because you know it's that size where a manager might have say six to eight people in their team and that they have a huge impact on those people and so when I'm working with them on management and I they said but how do I build this trust because I always say Mm -hmm. the critical thing is trust don't worry about special words and this that and the other and da 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 it's about trust build trust with people because when they trust you they'll do anything for you and they said but how do we do that and I always use the Jahari window to say right If somebody has a blind spot, you know, you need to give them feedback, but you need trust to do that. And the way that you do that is by sharing a bit yourself. So I talk about the disclosure feedback ratio Mm -hmm. as to where you are with self-awareness as to how much you start with disclosure yourself if the other person isn't very self-aware. Exactly what you're saying with CEOs um, so that you invite them to join you. It is that thing that you're actually having to be a bit vulnerable. Well, sometimes quite vulnerable because you step into something and say, but it invites them to return. You know, it's it's a discourse thing, isn't it? When you say, I say. Absolutely. I'm the eternal optimist. And I actually think that the one, well, for me, a big thing that's come out of lockdown and the isolation. We were joking before that you can see you get a window into people's personal lives, don't you? Their homes, their kids. My yeah. dog frequently appears in Zoom calls. <laughs> their gin collection. All of that, all of that. But equally, that gives people a window, a window again into my life. Whereas when you're at work and in the office, you've got this artificial wall, whereas actually it's helped open it up a little bit. And as a coach, that gives you a great opportunity to just peel that back a little bit. But as as a leader, you're letting people see inside your home, but other people are letting you you see inside there. So I think it's a great way of opening up that discussion. 
How do you both think? Sorry, I'm asking the question now, but yeah, cancel. <laughs> How do you both think some leaders have responded to lockdown lockface versus lockdown 1.0 based on this um, personal access? And what I mean by that is, I I noticed initially, and I felt it a little bit myself. It felt quite invasive that straight away someone is in your kitchen. Or you're, you know, for people who, who who are in a space where that is affordable, you know, a study or whatever. But wherever you are, people that you wouldn't ordinarily have in your home are in your home. That's quite a, oof, you know, all of a sudden, Bob from Accounts is in your kitchen. Yeah. Um, you know, how do you feel like people are will feel about it this time round versus, and or did you notice a difference between this time round with first time round? Mm, that's a good one. I'm reminded of your conversation, your question, of a good friend of mine who, after week one of lockdown, managed to order some paint on Amazon because she realised she had to re- redecorate her kitchen because people <laughs> could see it now when they were on the call, <laughs> uh, which then prompted the questions from her team about why she'd gone and repainted her, tea, her, her window, uh, her kitchen, uh, which opened up a whole dialogue and a, and a connection point. So I, I really agree that I think that's, that's opened things up and made it easier for people to find a way to connect. I was on a call with someone the other day, a leader, and they had their guitar collection in the background. If you'd met them on any other call, you would never have known that, you'd never have understood that. And we started getting into a conversation. And I mean, that was his passion, but you would never have got that had you met him at any other point in be free lockdown. So I, I think it has really opened that. I think I don't think really people, at least in my experience, people are seeing much of a difference going into two 2.0. I think they're just accepting it now. It's become the norm, right? I think it's yeah. become much more of the sort of accepted way of operating. I, what I have seen, which is quite interesting, was uh, an organization where they had started to bring people back to work in the office part-time, at least their exec, and we're getting real value from periodic connections together, um, who felt um, quite challenged by 2.0 because they felt that that was stepping back um, and making them more isolated from each other because they felt they had to adhere to that legislate that, that guidelines, uh, and the right thing to do was to keep people at home. And they felt they were losing losing that step. They they moved themselves to a nice hybrid model of working, home working, occasional connection. And without that occasional connection, they were feeling a bit insecure again. That was quite an interesting yeah. reflection. But, uh, but I think people have, in my experience at least, people have adapted. I don't know, Annette, from you. Yeah, I, I found it fascinating because I am, for those that know me well, a people watcher. And um, I am um, nosy is the other word. All right. Uh, what I <laughs> your, your word's not mine. Yeah, yeah. I knew you'd chip in, so I thought I'd say something. Is um, what I found fascinating watching is that did you all notice that people were a bit like stiff and proper with Zoom or Teams to start off with, and then they got more relaxed in what they were dressing, their approach, the cat being in, kids coming in. And then as we were coming out of lockdown and people were starting to drift back to the office, people got a little bit more formal again, thinking about what they were wearing Zoom oh. because they were going through this transition and it got a little bit more structured. Um, I also found some leaders that adapted their style and approach to Zoom and some that found it incredibly difficult because exactly what you talk about, Nicola, people were coming into their lives when they'd always kept them in a box out yeah. of their lives. 
And they were going, thank God, we're coming to the end of it. That's done. I can move on. I can and go back to being the exactly. formal. I wear my, literally somebody wore a, a tie and shirt one day for a coaching session. I was like, really? But in their head, they were going back into a formal working environment. I think the people that have gone with the flow and have opened up their lives and their vulnerability are probably find it easier going into second to lockdown. I think people that were very keen to get back have struggled with their opening up their lives, but also had gone a bit more formal are finding that a real challenge. And I'll be really honest with you. I think the darkness affects that as well. Yeah. And mental health, yeah. lack of ability to get exercise. I, I, I used to go running every evening, a walk every evening. I don't do that now because unlike Aaron, I won't go running in the dark. <laughs> but people have had to do more adapting and changing. People are struggling a little bit with yeah. Groundhog Day. Yeah. And I think I think it's it highlights, as I was saying, this sort of idea of turning up the volume. It turns up the volume on your toolbox. Yes. And, if, and, and it sounds a bit crude, but you know what I mean? And I think that sense of like, if you don't have the tools in your toolbox that are actually, in, in my view, emotional intelligence and the, that ability to think, actually, I'm not feeling great today. I, it's OK for me to talk about that and own that and say, right, this is what I'm going to do about it. And also recognize that in others. And, you know, that as we've talked about before and, and today, yeah. you know, that authentic connection and maybe some people it's giving yourself permission to do that rather than being yeah. that more formal tie and a shirt thing. And I think if people are, are still struggling with the maybe they're sort of struggling with the boundaries mm. of where where is my personal life? Where's the the yeah. work life um and as i say i'm working with open blend it's ironic plug really but not so ironic but perhaps more pertinent it's that blend of actually our lives don't have these boxes anymore no, no. that it's like get up get dressed put my uniform on in inverted commas oh, and then yeah and you know before it was like i have this routine uniform journey start work journey back to real life or you know yeah. personal life whereas now mm. it's all it's all merged and that I, makes I, those I, boundaries diagram, isn't it it's I've got my life I've got my work and they were two separate things but actually this is we've got a crossover now yeah and the more we're open and we share about that the easier it'll be yeah I think you're right. I think there are positives to it where, as we were talking about the humanization, the approachability, the transparency, all those elements. But I think there's also the risk to it. And I see this in a number of organizations where the balance is going and people are not feeling confident enough to talk up to say, I'm working too hard. I'm not getting enough breaks, et cetera. Right. I have seen other organizations where they've taken a very proactive stance recently to say, you know, for example, when you book meetings, 50 minutes is your maximum for an hour meeting, 25 for a half hour. Take, we're going to give you up. We're going to allow you to block half a day off in your calendar for meetings where there's a sort of moratorium against meetings. You know, you're not going to have any in that time frame just to help people manage through this. And I think there was an assumption that people could manage it themselves, but I'm, I'm not sure that's the case. I think that leaders need to guide people a little bit around this and say it's okay it's okay to yeah. it's okay to to, to to ask for help around how to manage 
the pressure of that merge between work and home and how does that come together and that's again back to that authenticity and that sort of um, empathy and connection isn't it by saying as a leader I'm struggling personally I want yeah. to like it work and this is what I'm doing you know just opening up to that I think that's how people can feel connected and, and feel how they can actually have permission to make sort of changes themselves. And building on that point, I think this is where the CPO or number one person in HR, whatever that job title may be, plays a huge role in the leadership team in them role modelling that. Yeah. Because if the CPO provides the safe space, not just for a CEO or founder, but for that leadership team, and and I think it's an interesting challenge as a CPO when you, it's a bit, I always said it's a bit poacher turned gamekeeper, that you're 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 part of the team but you're also the coach I've always seen it as a kind of coach for that team mm-hmm. um, and an insight into that team to help that team continue to build as a team so you're sort of looking continually looking at it from the outside as well as being part of it from the inside but that's where I see that CPO that lead HR person playing a vital role because without that leaders can sometimes lose a sense of you know how where where's where are the boundaries and and where's the where's the alignment on where we where what our stance is as yeah. leaders agreed i'm very aware of the time yes we do need to bring it and wrap it up i guess we covered a lot of ground there from openness and humanizing uh the uh leadership to the need for coaching and guiding there's lots of different aspects and i think bringing it back as we are you know, recording this as part of the, the Guild of HR Professionals back to that role around the CPO and how important it is for them. I think that's a great way for us to round out. Nicola, thank you very much for joining us this evening for our fireside chat. My Annette, pleasure. I've loved it. Annette, as always, a pleasure. Yeah, thank you, co-host. And we will bring it to a close there. If you want to listen into the podcast, you can do through all the normal channels. Just look up the Guild of HR Professionals Spotlight series. Uh, and you can find us there or you can look up HR on the offensive podcast under Lace Partners and find us there as well. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>